We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we work and live and pay our respects to Indigenous elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Matilda. I'm David. And this is our podcast, Tell Me About It, where we tell each other things each week. An intergenerational exchange of ideas. Yeah. So what's what's the big idea this week then? Um, well, we kind of made it rhyme and called it unethical medical things. Uh, unethical medical? Yeah. Meaning what? Anything that I guess nowadays would be considered unethical and probably was unethical at the time, but is, you know, has either helped or, you know, hindered. Well, isn't the bit, isn't the big, the most confronting thing about that is that it might have actually helped people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess the question is do you use stuff that has been the result of unethical? experiments and trials and acquisition and and in some cases has resulted in people being tortured and dying Mm. do you just go we under no circumstances do we have that sort of stuff because of the circumstances it was gathered or do we go well at least make those people's lives matter Mm. and then so i guess that's the one i guess we just have to decide what are ones where it wasn't worth it because we are the judges of everything. Oh my gosh, yeah. We are actually the, world. Yeah. the most important voices. And the four people that listen to this. <laughs> Which is just our family. <laughs> Which is us, basically. Yeah, it is. And two other people. We're actually the judges, so we can say whatever we want. And yeah. it applies. We actually have the most important opinions in the entire world. But well, we like it to be based in some sort of fact. Not just wild, <laughs> wild ass pointing fingers and going... Yeah. Unethical. Yeah. Maybe we should just say, like, these are just our opinions. If you have different opinions to us. Good on you. That's great. We are not the ultimate no or yes on this. And the reason it's... And it's kind of most of these stories and most of these things are probably questionably ethical or questionably unethical. There's two sides to it. Make up your minds. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So... I did a little bit of reading, and before we talk about this, there is an interesting code that sort of lays out the rules for the con- the ethical conditions for conducting experiments. Mm-hmm. It's called the Nuremberg Code. Not surprisingly, if you know your history at all, <laughs> quite a lot of unethical medical experiments went on during World War Two, and we may talk about that or we may not, mm-hmm. but as a result of it, the trial against one of the doctors, one of the Nazi doctors, mm-hmm. or in fact a group of Nazi doctors who conducted experiments. Off the back of it, they drafted this 10-point code. I can't remember all the points, but the biggest and most important one is that whoever takes part in a trial or an experiment does so with informed consent. Yes. Now, what informed consent exactly means is <laughs> difficult. But anyway... Tell us, hit us with your fantastic story of unethical noodlings. <laughs> so shall I go first on all of this? Yeah, go on then. 
Well, I was... I'm a, so I'm a big fan of a YouTuber called Ask a Mortician, also known as Caitlin Doty. Mm-hmm. She's a mortician in the States, in LA, who runs a non-profit, a non-profit mortuary. What's it called? A funeral home? So, I like, think you've told me yeah, about this woman. She's great. She's like... But her, a lot of her videos online talk about the unethical acquisition of bodies and like especially those that are on display and you know in museums and stuff and so it got me thinking about like the display of bodies in museum and how ethical it is to keep them there and and like also just the amount that people actually do have in museums like I think the there was a museum in London that has 20,000 bodies in some capacity stored. And only like 800 of those are on display. Well, preserved or so, like skeletons? Some of them are skeletons. It's in all different stages. Like there's all different varieties. Like even bodies class like as fetuses. I mean, have you ever been to Bart's Museum? Uh, well, it's that part of the hospital yeah. in London. Yes. Right. Um, well, it's part of the university as well. No. It's the Bart's, the, which is, what is it, Bartholomew's yes, College? Yes, Bartholomew's. So, like, that's, a, it's a university in the UK. It's, it's a, a very, hospital. it's a very highbrow mm. <laughs> teaching hospital university. And they have a museum and they have a lot of bodies on display. And like the ethical acquisition of them is always put into question. I mean, when I was doing that, I got down the rabbit hole of body snatchers. Mm-hmm. So we obviously know about Burke and Hare. Yeah. Which are, I would say, some of the most famous body snatchers ever to ever exist and it's a pretty niche trade (laughs) or maybe it wasn't i don't know in the 19th century in the 18th century it wasn't as niche as you think it actually is upsettingly common yeah so like in that time period so like obviously we would call them body snatchers or grave robbers they wouldn't call themselves that which makes sense really because that sounds like such a like brutal name for it so they would call themselves let's see if i have this the resurrection men oh right yes yeah yeah so they resurrected these bodies they like were paid by medical places Mm -hmm. to resurrect corpses to get these corpses out it like wasn't unusual it was done by surgeons and doctors they paid for these bodies and so a lot of the bodies that they have on display were unethically snatched by body snatchers and and they got handsomely like the reason why they they started this trade was because like so the murder act of 1752 meant that only executed criminals were allowed to be dissected by medical hospitals and that was only about 10 a year i think even in its height they would only end up getting like 54 so like how are you how how are you in their argument it's like how are you supposed to actually do science on anatomy yeah yeah on only 10 bodies a year that's that's not a lot look but also like 
how are you supposed to learn the body on 10 bodies a year? Like, obviously now, hopefully, most of these bodies that are are in medical hospitals and medical teaching rooms are donated, but there's always, like, ethical issues around that as well. So, yeah, they purchased it and they displayed it (laughs) for the surgeons to peruse and buy. So they had, like, these resurrection men would, like, do, like... I guess like markets of bodies which is insane but like the way they would get these bodies was actually like insane like I read that they would essentially find like freshly buried bodies and dig at the head wrap a rope around like break into the coffin wrap a rope around the body and drag it out because bodies were buried so shallowly at that time in London until mm-hmm. probably like there was a flood or something and these bodies started rising, um, they, you know, were able to get these things. And like, it technically wasn't illegal, which sucks. <laughs> it The only thing that was illegal would have been if they had taken the jewelry and the clothes mm-hmm. that was in there. That, that would have been grave robbing. But because... they would leave those things often like not all the time but often they wouldn't be charged so it wasn't illegal and yeah I just think that's crazy that they would like drag like almost like keyhole surgery I mean yeah that's why we have in the UK those iron bars around certain greys really yeah because it would stop because of grave robbers yeah it would stop it would stop people grave robbing them because I know there was a great fear about being buried alive wasn't they and the, and people who could afford it would have bells bells yes but i have a feeling that was thanks to edgar Allan poe i feel like you're right on that, that one. it was just i don't have any numbers to back that up but i suspect the number of people buried alive was pretty small mm. and that it was just a good way of getting more money out of people when they were planning their funerals mm-hmm yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 iron bars was a real thing. It wasn't used to stop them getting out. No, it was used to stop people getting, getting in. in. Yeah. So like, they wouldn't be able to dig around it either. Like, I'm pretty sure they were, they stuck in the ground like spikes. So it wasn't easy for them to get to so the grave robbers. Would ignore them half the time. Like, I guess if they were desperate, like. But this is the 1800s. People are dying yes. quite regularly. So it's not... And also of the of diseases that they hadn't worked out how to find a cure for them. And a lot of poor people. That's not a lot of things. Like throughout history, body snatching tends to be poor. Poor people having their like graves robbed and you know, Mm. their bodies snatched because they couldn't afford to have these iron bars around their graves that prevented that from happening. So, like, you know. Yes. Just sucks. Uh, I mean, one really... So, you were looking up the Irish giant, Giant. Charles Byrne. Now, his body wasn't technically body snatched. He wasn't buried. Well... As I understand it, so he was this giant man, giant for the time, but giant by today's standards, seven foot seven. Yeah, he wasn't as big as, I guess, 
like there are taller people now. He'd be uh, he'd be an average sized basketball player yeah. probably now. Yeah. But you know, given diets and things like that, it, it um it was quite shocking. Uh, yeah, and he was he was there was a surgeon called John Hunter. Mm-hmm. Yes, who was who offered him money for his his bones mm-hmm. when he died. Yes, but Byrne didn't want this. Fair enough. So he arranged to be put placed in a lead coffin. Yeah. And taken, uh, he wanted to be buried at, at sea. sea. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, Hunter couldn't get hold of his mm-hmm. his bones. Fortunately, it didn't happen. What What did Hunter do? His cadaver was snatched on its way to Margate, so it was in the the movement. So it was completely illegally obtained. Yes. Completely. And more importantly. Without his consent. Absolutely, yeah. In fact, against his consent. He did not at all want to be put in a museum. Because that was what Hunter's desire was, was to put his skeleton in a museum for display. And I can tell you, I've actually seen it. Oh, is that as tall as you... Well, no. You stand at a good 5'11"? Well, 5'10". Yes. 5'11 in the morning. (laughs) 510. Yeah, he was a big guy. There's no doubt about <laughs> it. But yes, it's in a museum called the Hunterian Collection. Yes, yeah. Which is round the back of the Royal College of Surgeons in London. Yeah. So uh, and this this is this is a place that's full of medical yeah. specimens. But and a lot of it has been ethically. Yeah, I mean I don't think they asked people. No, you don't you they didn't. That's the problem. They just assumed they had a right to have it. Which is kind of gross. Which is, you know, at the heart of this consent thing. I don't think, I think somebody like Hunter was, I don't know much about him, but I think they were all driven by a curiosity and a desire to find out. They just didn't think that there were repercussions, you know. It was all for science. And and again, again, I think the other thing you have to remember is that he wasn't rich. He didn't, he was a freak. Like, like in the original meaning of it, he was evolved in freak shows so like it wasn't they didn't think that it was unethical getting him because he was poor and he was just like an oddity to them he wasn't a person he actually there was a lot of debate about whether or not he should be given the burial he wanted and there was a poll that that the museum took and over overwhelmingly like over 50 percent of people said that he should be like, given a proper burial. Shockingly, the museum actually decided not to and kept him on display until 2018, and he has not been seen on display since. since. So I must have seen him probably about 2007. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But there was a... I mean, first of all, the Hunterian is not like a... the You know, like a museum where you can pay a fee. You have to book time yeah. to go into it because it is full of, you know... Faces, skulls that have been destroyed by syphilis. Mm. and that, There is even a syphilitic penis in there. And feet with elephantitis. And I mean, it is uh, quite unsettling mm. place to go. And I think people were probably more upset by seeing that sort of stuff than they were back in Hunter's mm. day. Or even in the 19th century. Definitely changing their attitudes on it. And there have been actually a few cases of people returning 
bodies to actual countries and burial grounds so they can be returned to you know tradition and like there are certain countries and cultures that have tradition about burial and if it's not stuck to it's considered like bad luck so like um and uh, and some of them have been returned not all of them and not most of them like there's still 20,000 bodies in a museum (laughs) in London and only 800 of them are display. Their argument is that those bodies are safer with archaeologists than they are with out in the public. My argument is, why you didn't ask? <laughs> like, you should probably just return those. What if they're, like, mummified? There is, isn't there? There's a mummified body of, I don't know whether it was Aztec Inca or some other South American. You're talking about, like, the perfectly... Yeah. Preserved girl, or yes, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Nobody asked her, and she's put on display. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 Is that also, unethical. Well, that's the thing because they're learning a lot from her. But she's not on display at the moment. I don't think is she. Well, I uh, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. know. Look, I don't know about that. It is questionable, and like, I think I think it comes into the idea of like we all know how unethical now looking back at it it was in when in the 30s when people were going to Egypt and taking all these artifacts back to Britain we know how unethical that was because they should have been just left the fuck alone but in like they did learn a lot but it's just so either or like there's this question of like yeah, they learnt a lot, but but by also traumatising a bunch of uh, cultures. Yes. Well, it's it's a difficult one yeah. to know. I mean, or- certainly with the with the people who took bodies from mm-hmm. graves, they weren't. You know, they were recently dead. They had to be recently dead, yeah. and they definitely didn't ask consent in no. the way you would. People would ask. You know, would would you be willing to donate you body to science? science? And of course, nowadays they have these things, these things called body farms. Yes, and there's which, the most famous one. The first one was in Sydney. That's right. And in fact, we've tried to get access to film. You can't because because of the consent. The consent, like like the whole point is that these bodies are there. It's an amazing place. Like the bodies are there to so scientists can study decomposition mm. or study like. How I mean, some of it's for like murder victims, so they can figure out like how the body died in certain states of decomposition, and like it's quite, a, it's a very interesting place. But obviously, part of the consent for it is not all of them have consented to be photographed. Some of them have just been consented to be there. Yeah, and and even though we obviously it wouldn't photograph people's faces or anything that would be clearly identifiable. It's just so. <clears throat> it's so. It's not. the principle of it, yeah. isn't it? That you can't. Um, you know. You're you're respecting their body through science, and therefore you should respect themselves in life. You know. Yeah. I think also. Well, <laughs> this is a bit of a tangent, but I know you're talking about the fact that there was like a penis in. Yes. I looked up <laughs> to see if it was Rasputin's penis. In the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg. I think you have to give some context. Okay, so (laughs) we recorded an episode and lost all of the recording. And one of the things we were talking about... 
Oh, shut up. We were talking about, like, I mean, we got into Rasputin. I can't remember how it was. It was about conspiracies, and we got into yeah. Rasputin. And I, we were talking about the penis in the Museum of Erotica. I thought it was in Amsterdam. It's in St. Petersburg. Is it? Yes. There's one in... There was one in Amsterdam, but yeah. that's the Museum of Sex. It's not Erotica. Ah. So, yeah, he... So, <laughs> there have been two suspected versions of Rasputin's penis. Now, Rasputin was a famous lover, supposedly, as he, the song, you know. He was a spiritual consultant <laughs> to the, the Romanovs. He was meant to be a good lay as well. Like, rah-rah well, Rasputin, lover of the Russian I, queen. I, don't, I, I think he was a person who didn't deny himself. Any. It's contradictory because he was meant to be a man of God, but he supposedly had a lot of sex. But his penis was supposedly like 13 inches long like it was a meant to be like a good girthy penis um but the first one that they found by the way it's like pickled in a jar yeah was found not to be a sea cucumber (laughs) um and Uh, uh, that's just really (laughs) unappetizing yeah sea cucumber on display as Rasputin's penis. Took it down because obviously it wasn't that. And then his granddaughter maybe was sold his penis (laughs) which was supposedly snatched by a group of French women (laughs) who used it to like bring fertility to them would like literally share pieces of Rasputin's penis to like help them get pregnant and stuff. But she bought it off them. And then supposedly when she came under some money hardship, she sold it to the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg. Now I saw a picture of this penis and it does not look like any fucking penis I've ever seen. And has is actually suspected to be bovine because the person who did the autopsy on Rasputin after he was shot and killed quite yeah. brutally said that his penis was completely intact and it was just a fabricated myth by the... What, they, what were they called? The Romanovs. The Roman, no, no. By... The Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks, yeah. It was just a fabricated kind of like story. Trying to diminish... I mean, because Rasputin was there because the Tsar's son was a haemophiliac, mm-hmm. which was a, well... It's a blood disorder. This is what happens when cousins marry. You know, these genetic um, problems get passed on mm. and amplified. Yeah, and he was brought in as a sort of spiritual consultant to pray and yeah. for the young Tsar. And then he sort of worked his way around <laughs> the, 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 the royal family. household, yeah. literally. Yeah, well... Rasputin's penis. Yeah. Mm. So it still is on display, but it it doesn't look like a to me it doesn't look like a human penis. Right. It's very. But then it is like preserved in like essentially a vinegar solution. Yeah. So it could have been like. It would be quite brown. It was. Yes, it was brown. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. I. But it is believed to be a bovine. Penis, because the person who did the autopsy said his penis was perfectly intact when he did it. Who knows? Why was he looking for that? Because of the myth. Yeah, but the myth came afterwards. Well, also, I think... Well, they have to do a proper autopsy everywhere. Do they? Yeah. I mean, this was pre-revolutionary Russia. Why would they have bothered? He was shot. 
know. Was he shot? I always thought he was poisoned. No, he was he was tortured and shot. Was he? Yeah. Ah. Let's have a look. And I... many decades later, he would be celebrated in song <laughs> by, <laughs> by, <laughs> by a bunch of Germans. Oh, there you go. That's it. Yeah. It, it doesn't look like a... It thing. looks weird. Right? It looks more like a ham or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's only... The only thing that's vaguely penis-like, I guess, is like the bottom bit, like the end. Yeah. That's yeah. it. The rest of it's not... Yeah. So, there you go. Well, there you go. But I also have one, one final thing. Go on, then. So, we were talking about the unethical acquisition, and I was like... Okay, is there any recent examples of it? There is. Go on. It's not for... So it wasn't done for medical purposes. It was done for artistic, educational thing. There was a a exhibition, a touring exhibition called Real Bodies, the exhibition. Ah, uh, right. Is this the guy who plasticizes people's yeah. bodies? Yeah. So there were... German guy. Yeah, there were... 13 bodies in this exhibition all of them have were acquired from china in 2005 okay so this this entire like exhibition was running from 2005 until 2018 that's as far as i can tell is the last time it was ever on show i have no idea what happened to the bodies okay but supposedly these bodies were called into question about the acquisition of it because it, he goes, like, these bodies were all legally obtained. He doesn't mention ethically. Just legally obtained. So he was given these bodies from a particular place in China that does absolutely deal with bodies. And, and as far as I can tell, they obtain them, again, legally. So they have claimed that these bodies were actually executed Chinese political prisoners. Mm-hmm. Now, the last place that this exhibition ever happened actually was in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Um, in 2018. And New South Wales, so the Royal Australasian College of Physicians, which has 24,500 24, doctors, urged state and federal ministers to close the exhibition as it failed to meet ethical norms and demonstrate respect for the person. Because these person these people were displayed in like very particular Yeah, I remember seeing it. Poses. You know, (laughs) these bodies just probably weren't ethically consensually obtained. The there was this letter that was written by supposedly a member of this like school, this medical school in which the bodies were donated from, mm-hmm. that said that that during the Revolutionary War or what, what was it called? It was the war that went whatever started and like these ritual killings or cultural killings or something. That you started. mean the Cultural Revolution? The Cultural Revolution when that yeah. happened, all like thousands more bodies started coming in, like to to this place and he was like that's not that wasn't like how are all of these consenting like that's not possible we don't know where half of them come from and even the person who donated the bodies claimed that all of these were consenting people but 
has provided absolutely no proof to suggest that. And when he, the leader of the exhibition, was asked to prove consent that the prove that these bodies were consensually and ethically obtained, mm-hmm. he could not. What's his name? Ooh. I think he might have done an autopsy on British television. Yeah. This guy. It was on Channel 5, I think. Much heralded. And somebody I used to work with was going to sort of co-host it with him, but uh, she didn't end up doing it. And I think she was quite grateful for that. Yeah, good. I think she may have bowed out for exactly the reasons you're saying. Exhibitions of plasticine bodies pioneered by German anatomist Gunther von Hagens. That's it. Has been viewed more than 50 million people worldwide. Yeah. It's banned in Israel and France, though. Yeah, and also, I mean, apart from a kind of morbid fascination, which is not a good enough reason to do no, it. No, it's not. What What do people get out of that sort of exhibition? Mm. I mean, I guess you could look at it and go, wow, the human body is incredibly complex. Mm. It's this l- l- network of arteries and but veins that be, and nerves. But that could be done without using real bodies. Uh, well, easily, yeah. Yeah, now, easily. And the treatment that he gave them made made them look... Fake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by the very nature, I think it was some sort of process by which he was able to coat them so they didn't deteriorate. It was or... plastic. You just used, like, a plastic, plasticine-type solution. Yeah, well, whatever. But so, to all intents and purposes, they could have just... He could have just done it... Mm. With with dummies and yeah. you wouldn't be looking, but then then there's that line where you're going. It's only knowing that there were bodies mm-hmm. that that draws people exactly. It's it's the yeah it's the kind of like he could have lied. Yeah, I also feel like this whole entire controversy about whether or not they were ethically obtained probably helped quite yeah. a bit because it's like oh like but. Obviously, it can't be unethically obtained if these are being given the okay to go. And that was an excuse he used. He said that he went to so many different countries and so many different so many different health officials had looked over these bodies and had approved it. And they had approved it because technically they're not they're so far removed from bodies mm. because then because like he has to remember that like the health, New, New South Wales Health, New, like any health organisation, doesn't know the ethical implications behind it. That's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to find out whether or not it's a public health hazard. So, like, yeah, of course it's going to be, like, approved because they're so far removed from corpses at this point that it's, I guess, safe for humans to look. But the ethical implications of him taking Chinese political prisoners mm. and, like, just is insane. And, like, it's not... It's just, like, of course, like the argument that he got them consensually and then cannot provide any proof. Like, if you donate your body to science, you have to fill out a massively long form. I am an organ donor. I have an organ donor card. Mm. And I had to fill out a consent form when I was doing that. And I'm not even dead. <laughs> like, you just have the amount you have to fill out to be to have your body donated to science 
like every single body at that body farm, I guarantee has a consent form attached to them. Very well organized because they probably have to. Yeah. They're probably very used to families being like, no, I don't want them to go to this thing like halfway through. Do you think that that people, when we go back to Hunter and those surgeons mm. in the 18th and 19th century, do you think it ever occurred to them to ask? No. Well, Hunter did ask Charles Byrne. But he was going to do it anyway. For his body, well, it's for his bones, essentially. And if so, I don't know, why not? Do you think it was because people felt that, you know, it was very much more religious time and there was significance to... To the body, there was actually a scientist in the nineteenth century mm. who was who was using was using dying people mm. without their consent, making a series of weighing the bodies mm. before and after they died mm. to see if there was any yeah. weight difference. To see if they had a soul. Yeah. Yes, and I know this. And guy, actually, yeah. found that they they lost a small amount of weight. It was- 30 something 30 grams or something yeah. like that yeah it was in old measurements uh, yeah. one and a half ounces yeah and and he didn't find the same effect in dogs either but it's largely been discredited because because there's no such thing as the soul and because he used such a small yeah, sample yeah. set that you know and that's if you're going to do unethical science, at least do the science. <laughs> yeah, right? At least do it to a big I mean, otherwise <laughs> you prove nothing, do you? Yeah, and, and, then, and go... then you don't have people like us on a podcast going like, well, it was worth something, I guess. <laughs> and anyway, it wasn't worth anything. But then the history of science is littered with experiments that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And, and that's that's the point. Mm-hmm. Science is not there. It's just a method. Mm-hmm. And if the method doesn't prove the... The theory, mm. then then science has done its job. Yeah, look, yeah, I think I don't think that those surgeons, those doctors at that time, cared. I think body snatching had become such a such a big practice that it was well known. Everyone did it. I mean, they held markets, you know, for these people to look yeah, at these bodies. But they didn't care. But what was the point of their research then? Just to find out the body. Yeah, and ultimately, what was the gain from that? Oh, it was to help medical students, wasn't it? That was mostly what it was. And what do medical students do? They look after bodies. What? Well, what do medical students become? Doctors. And what's the purpose of doctors? To keep people alive. You'd think you'd have to do it on real bodies, like alive people, yeah. Look, I mean, the church prevented a lot of things at that time. We know this, that the, there's a reason why the period after the Dark Ages is called the Enlightenment period or the Renaissance. Yeah, it's because of the lack of rules the church had now and the lack of control the church had at that time but yeah I mean I think I think I'm gonna just I'm gonna end my little bit on this and and like just saying that this is not a practice that has stopped it may not occur in the western world as much but it is definitely a practice that is occurring in poorer countries and countries with more difficult you know class systems and caste systems and I know India has a big black market underground this is black market stuff this is not legal like it wasn't legal then no like I think I should just say like people are not 
countries are not, I hope, are not selling bodies of their people and doing it unethically like that. Unless they consented. Unless they consented. Which, but actually, you, I mean, in the same way, you're not allowed to sell other mm. bodily bits. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be selling them. No. Even with consent. Yeah. Well, there's there's the one the thing that I wanted to end on was that there's this, there's this currently a guy on on TikTok and I don't want to go into it because I it's so up in the air it's so controversial mm. who I have seen a number of times on my for you page and every time I look at that and I go this is horrendous he sells bones in which he claims have been consensually obtained. All I can think is, how can bones that you sell be consensually obtained? I don't want my bones to be sold. Are you kidding me? Uh, I don't know. No. You're not using them. No, but he's got a wall of oh. spines. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Make for a great advert, wouldn't it? Need a bit of backbone? Oh, God. <laughs> I've got loads. It, uh, Crazy Mel's backbone bonanza. Yes, supposedly the bodies he uses have been traced back to, what is it called? What are they called in India? Like the lowest? Oh, well, there is a, there's a proper name in the yeah. caste system, but unfortunately the, the common name used is the untouchables. Yeah, yeah. That's what they, that, that's kind of the bodies. There's a lot of people in India and um, a lot of people... Um, go missing, I guess. But Well, also a lot of people can't afford to have a burial. The funeral industry is sucking us dry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, no, look, my thing is, it's not really... So I, I was thinking about consent, mm-hmm. right? And I was also thinking about how is... Here's the... How, how can you get somebody to sign up for an experiment where if you tell them the point of the experiment mm. it it's spoilers if they know what the entirety of the experiment we sometimes when we make programs we don't tell the contributors the entirety of what's happening yeah that's reality uh, and we run through a, a, a process of sign off and ethical review yes lots when, of paperwork when we go, if if we reveal the point of the program it's going to it influence everything. their reactions yeah, 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 yeah. and when the reactions are important so a really good example of this is you've probably heard of it most people have it's called the milgram experiment i actually have never heard of the milgram you've never heard of the milgram i might have heard of it if you get into it but i haven't heard the name milgram so it 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 was it took place in 1961 at yale university this i think he was a psychologist was he called stanley milgram the uh, no, 1961 you know it was uh, scarcely 15 years since the end of the war 1945, 51, yeah, Hmm. Uh, 1961. And Milgram wanted to find out why people went along with the Nazis when they clearly were bad dudes, Hmm. you know. So he conducted this experiment where he invited a, a group of people in and he told the people taking part in the experiment that they were taking part in a, an experiment to see how you could use punishment and incentive to teach people, to teach people. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they went into the room, two people went into, two participants went into the room and they were told that one was going to be the the, the, the teacher and one was going to be the learner. Okay. Okay. And they, they, they put their 
they, they had the things in a hat and they put randomly pulled it out. Mm. Okay, so what happened? And then there was a, a person sort of moderating and mm. controlling the experiment. And what happened is one person went off into another room and they were strapped into a chair. And the the teacher was was told that the learner was going to be given a number of tasks, word-associated tasks. And that if they were to get it wrong, they were they had to administer an electric shock. I have, yes. I Now I have heard of this. Okay. Yeah. And if they continued to get it wrong, the, the level of the electric shock would would increase to the point where it was so high it would be fatal oh okay yeah yeah, okay the the learner in the other room would get the first shock and wouldn't would would you'd you'd hear him or her her happening and then the next get something else wrong and the next one and the next one and as it stepped up the 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 learner would start uh, screaming moaning and asking to be let out and please stop doing this Mm -hmm. and really 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 stop Stop doing it, mm. and and the if the teacher uh, was if the teacher objected and wanted to stop it, yeah, the moderator or the, the person controlling the experiment, and also I should say they gave them white lab coats to make them feel like they were scientists mm. would give them would give them four opportunities to stop the experiment, and each time they would say, "You must continue." The success of the um, the experiment depends on you completing it. It was option that were retorts like that. And they had four of them. Mm. And if by the fourth one, they still insisted on stopping the experiment, they would stop the experiment. They were also told that there would be no lasting harm to the person getting the electric shocks, even though they were screaming and shouting. Now, what what the uh, the, the teacher didn't realise was that when, they, when he walked into the room with the other participant, they were an actor. Yeah, yeah. And that when they pulled out the, their roles out the hat, they both pulled out the same one and the actor pretended that they were the learner and that they weren't strapped in and they weren't getting electric shocks. But mm. as far as the teacher was concerned, that was that was real. Mm. They were also told that they would get part paid regardless of whether the experiment was completed or not. Interesting. So there was no incentive to do financially. It. Mm. And 63% of the people took it to fatal levels. Wow. And this was an experiment in obedience. Why yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. Under, the, under certain conditions normalise really abhorrent behaviour. It'd be interesting to know, like, though what that 63% of people, those that, like, their, you know, I guess psychological history was. It was mixed. I think it was mixed. No, that that's that's what is interesting. Like, yeah. I'm not suggesting that all these people had you know violent paths what that year they're used to this stuff i i'm just interested to see like like i know that i'm interested to see what was the difference between the 63% and the 47% uh, yeah i mean i i'm actually surprised quite so many people did stop it yeah after the amount of i know that if someone had like questioned me four times it would take me a while. Yeah, to like... and they reassure you that, yeah. that, you know, although they're complaining it won't cause them any lasting damage, and they just insist that the experiment, in order for it to be useful, has to finish. Yeah. And and then they ran several different versions of it, one of which included the participant didn't actually have to press the button. They got somebody else. 
and they found that the consent, yeah. consent layer went up. Because then they're, they're, they're kind of slightly removed from it. Exactly. And there were several other different versions of it. Now, Milgram didn't tell them that was the point. He told him it was this learning exercise. Mm. And But if he had told them, clearly the experiment would have been pointless. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's often held up as being quite an unethical experiment. Sounds unethical, <laughs> I mean, you're leading people to believe one thing and... Actually, it's completely different. I can't imagine how traumatising that would be, thinking you had potentially killed someone from your decision. Well, apparently, Milgram did interview the the participants later, mm. and 83% of them were glad they took part, were happy that they took part. <sighs> Again, I need to know what the psychology of these people is. It's crazy. I just can't imagine being happy that you're electrocuting someone. I know that, like, in the moment, I probably would have carried on. Like... But this, this this experiment has been useful in offering insight into why people follow why people follow orders. But reasonable uh, people uh, normalize terrible behavior. But I also feel like there's so many more contributing factors to like normalizing something like Nazis in power than just personal authority telling you it's okay. Like there were so many more decisions that went into it that that just reducing it to that kind of part is a little unethical in itself it's it's dismissing it's it's looking at the the science behind it but not necessarily the sociology the like environmental factors are behind it yeah yeah and that was very much behind a lot of research for a long time basically Mm. that you didn't look at the the whole picture you looked at um because it's easy to go like this person is dying from this because they did this because it's their fault whereas if you actually like look at the environmental factors you can see that like someone who has i don't know high blood pressure might not just have a terrible diet that they choose to have but might also just have increased stress levels because of their work or increased stress levels because they're a single parent or something like that but like it's easy to just blame that person off that one thing. So I think I can see I can see why that would be unethical. Yeah, so it's interesting and given its place in history now, it's difficult to know whether um you know, his experiment is better known for being exploitative or for what it revealed. Mm. Because it, if it's just its place in science is that it was a an example of a terribly unethically conducted experiment. Well, weirdly enough, that serves a purpose, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, I feel like there are more unethical experiments than that. Yes. Like, yeah, not telling them and getting them to electrocute someone can but, be quite traumatising, but, like, ultimately there were no consequences to well, it. Well, we don't... Uh, it was actors. You although, weren't a- They weren't actually no, doing no, but it when to Star- When Milgram followed <coughs> it up, he didn't follow up long term. He didn't bother. Uh, but then when you've told, yeah, when you told somebody 
I don't know. You could still suffer trauma from no, even if, when if you know. No, if someone went, if someone went, they were acting. Yeah, it was complete actors, and you spoke to them, and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, that's fine. And the camera's over there. Hey! You've been <laughs> This is the original prank. Yeah. Science prank. Yeah, science prank. <laughs> he actually started, and that should be a reality show. Oh my gosh, that's what I'm going to pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think it would, you know what? Yeah. They did... Uh, I'm not going to say it because I feel like this well, would. Do you know what? That's not. They <laughs> might. That, that's not say electrocuting people, but you could you could almost just call it the 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 Milgram something, the Milgram show. I don't think you could do that. Yes, you could. No, you couldn't. And then anybody who bothered to Google halfway would find out what, what it was about. So, yeah. And then hence it would look Big Brother. It, the Big Brother, the programs, not yeah. Big Brother, the thing from Ooh. 1984, was essentially one of these sort of experiments. Yeah, yeah. That's what it started out as. Yeah, it did, yeah. They, they set them psychological tasks. The original version of it was. And it's very much about what happens when you stick a group of people in a, in a co- confined space with no exterior influence. I mean, a really good version of that is when COVID started. German Big Brother was going in full force and they had no contact with the outside world. So he had no idea that COVID was a thing. And they took it for a long time. Like, like people were like, you've got to tell them. Like, and, and they decided not to. I don't know how long. Maybe it was like 18 days they decided not to tell these people. I don't know what came of it. But that was an interesting thing, watching these people who probably were the only people in the entire world that had, like, next to, like, isolated tribes that had no idea COVID was a thing. Yeah. There's a, there's a, what's it called? Is it called Dark Mirror? The Charlie Brooker. Oh, you're calling Black Mirror. Black Mirror, sorry, Black Mirror. <laughs> In fact, the very first one they did, I think, was called Dead Set. I think the first one they did was... Or maybe this... I the think, Prime Minister. No, actually, I think this was a separate thing that he did. Yeah. Called Dead Set, which was about the zombie apocalypse breaks out. <laughs> Uh, uh, and they're filming a reality show, but they're completely unaware of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's just, it's a crazy thing. I can't imagine not knowing such an important world event that happened. Yeah. They do, I mean, there have been other examples. The, the other very much Big Brother one was a thing called the Stanford Prison Experiment. Oh, gosh, don't get me started on the Stanford Prison Experiment. It pisses me off. <laughs> well, tell me what it is. So a university professor took a bunch of Stanford middle-class white guys. Undergraduates. Um, undergraduates and decided to perform an experiment. It was much an experiment about, like, passivism. Like, like and how you normalize. normally violence and yeah. normalizing, like, kind of keeping people in line and so they took this group of of guys and split them down the middle and half of them were prisoners and half of them were guards and the guards were told to just basically keep them in line and they removed their names and gave them numbers and they were to exclusively be called by these numbers and the experiment took place uh, and and they were told not to physically harm them initially but that went out the window and were just told to keep these people in line it actually i watched a really interesting like documentary about it and people portray it as that it went on a lot longer than it did but it didn't well it ended very shortly it was supposed to last two weeks yeah it lasted six days yeah because the 
prisoners, yeah. air quotes, the prisoners rebelled. Mm. And there was a re- revolution. Because the guards were so fucking horrible. Like, yeah. they were inte- like they were told initially not to use physical violence, and then they used physical violence. And, like, I think I remember reading about what happened after it ended. Like, they, the guards were in interviewed and like by this guy and were asked like if they felt bad and they literally were like no 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 i i, I saw an, i read an interview part one and he was explaining that in order to make the experience real for them they couldn't when they were moving them from room to room they couldn't let them see where they were because they would just go oh we're just in a university so they put paper bags over their yeah, heads yeah. and he said it was a bit odd first time, but within a day it became normal practice and we did it all the time. Yeah. They so. weren't worried about it. I know the one thing that always that shocked me about it, one of the people that participants actually did leave. They were told that they could leave at any point and I, I don't know what happened. I can't remember what happened, but I think that the guards were unfairly targeting this one guy who had basically been like they had they had questioned what the guards were doing from the very beginning. Like, it wasn't a sudden uprising. They had been, like, from the very beginning going against what the guards were doing. And this one guy left the experiment. And, like, this is just how psychotic the professor was. Like, he shouldn't have been allowed to do any experimentations ever. But what happened was that the guy left the experiment, he went back, and then they needed a new guy for the experiment, so they tried to get him back by kidnapping him. (laughs) Kidnapping this guy. And so what had happened was that they were given a tip off as to where he was. Luckily, the guy's, like, girlfriend or something was told him, that what was happening and they like luckily weren't there when he supposedly was meant to be getting kidnapped by two of the guards (laughs) yeah but the the professor just these these guards just blindly blindly followed yeah this professor well well they were yeah they got to a point where that that they got used to that way of thinking and it's totally big brother isn't it Mm. and you know why so there was a day six there was a a um, prisoner rebellion mm. and the um, people conducting the experiment just let it play out you know and just watched and you know why it stopped no i can't remember why so is the professor uh, or the guy Lee? i don't even know that he was a professor the he guy was he was a professor leading the experiment his then girlfriend came down to see him and went what the fuck is she going on? She reported him. Yeah, she reported she said, him. You can't let this carry yeah, on. Yeah, she reported him. And I'm happy to tell you, she he later married her. Really? Yeah. The professor married <laughs> his girlfriend who told him to go, you must stop it. Okay, well, probably. Can you imagine that's how their, their, their relationship Women single-handedly. Played and, it, and it was later kind of believed that if he hadn't had a relationship with her, he wouldn't have paid any attention. No. That's insane. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, the experiment itself was kind, like, kind of pointless. Like, what did what? it prove? Well, yeah. Because, like, it was again. We were talking about this. Like, if you're going to do an unethical experiment, you might as well make it a wide kind of cast of people. But he literally picked well-to-do, middle-class to upper-class white men from 
the same area. And that that was a similar criticism of Milgram's experiment yeah. as well. But it really reminds me of of this story of these Tongan schoolboys who got shipwrecked. Mm. Okay, so William Golding wrote The Lord of the Flies, yep. which is it kind of explores the same territory. It's about a group of kids who get stranded on an island and they become savages by the end of it. Yeah. And they uh, turn to cannibalism yeah. and all that. So 1960, it was in the 60s anyway, a group of bored Tongan schoolboys at a, a Catholic school mm. got fed up with the, the dinners, so borrowed a boat to go and catch some fish. And got caught up in a storm mm. and lost their rudder and their oars, so they couldn't get anywhere. Mm. Were stranded at sea for eight days, Oof. drinking rainwater out of coconut shell that they had and catching fish. Mm. Until eventually they came to a, a little tiny island, a Tongan island, but a, a deserted one. Mm. People had lived there, but they left because it was basically just a rock. And they, they, they... They got there and they started to try and work out how they could feed themselves and how could they have water. So they catch they catch seabirds and they drank their blood and so that they can have some liquid. And they caught fish and then eventually they crawl. It was a volcanic thing and there was a crater and in the crater oh. a whole lot of chickens had been breeding there because they'd been left by the previous oh okay but the point was 15 months later an australian fisherman was out in his boat and he he, he came by this island mm. and he spotted that there were fires and then he saw little figures mm. and one of them dived into the water from the cliffs and swam to the boat and said hello hi We've been here 15 months and we haven't seen anybody. Can you take us home? Oh. And it turns out that um, quite unlike Golding's thing, these six um, schoolboys had, they had a vegetable patch. They, they had a rotor of work. Mm. They, they had a fire that they constantly kept going. One of them had fallen down and broken his leg and they splintered it up. And mm. they basically said to him, you rest until you get better. We'll we'll so we'll do all your work for oh. you, and it, it's just a really hopeful oh, yeah. story. That, that is really fact, nice. You, it's not necessarily the case that you leave if you leave people in difficult circumstances, they'll behave badly. It, and, I mean, it's not you know, always the case. No, I mean, obviously, you look at something like the Donna Party that they actually kind of they kind of behave, the Donna Party. What was that? So it's very similar. It's like putting a group of people in isolation. So we all know that the white Americans to fulfill their manifest destiny was to trans to to kind of like take over the entirety of the United States, what we now know as the United States of America. And they were traveling, and it was the Donna party was full of like the Donners, and then kind of like some extra people, and they left when it was very unadvisable to leave. Now, if you know anything about going over, I guess what would be considered the Oregon Trail, you can choose to go through the mountains or you can choose to go around. Now, if you go through the mountains, you'll be like in mountainous terrain, which is quite difficult. If you go around, it takes longer. 
And as far as I can aware, like, I don't know a lot about the Donner Party, but I remember learning this in history. So I did American history and you learn about the Donner Party and they went through, it's a really good example of like how not to travel. And they were traveling, you know, the Oregon Trail with the big, like... Covered wagons. Yeah, covered wagons. And I don't know how many people were in the Donner Party. Let's have a look. But they they were traveling over to so yeah but they were traveling to california and they ended up getting caught in a number of like in in the snowbound in the donna pass mm-hmm. which was named after them so this as far as i can remember this travel took about 18 months like usually it could take more though depending on like how slow or how quick and sometimes people never made it to the other end it was a dangerous trail to make but because like at the time like the american government or whatever were literally paying people mm-hmm. to travel so it there was a lot of incentive and there was no jobs in the east and like go west yeah and there was also like there was land there were there there were growing things they were selling they're selling big portions of land and you know whether or not that's ethical as a whole other thing but yeah so they slowly kind of just <laughs> 60 members so it was a big thing, but they came to this, they made camp, they had very little food, and they just kind of, they the oxen died, the carcasses were frozen, like all of this stuff. Their most experienced hunter was killed, and they lost pretty much everything. And so there were more storms, they had kind of been stuck in this place in November, like just more and more winter storms, and... And they were like completely snowed in and they had no way of like doing anything. And so what happened was they, <laughs> they turned to cannibalism. Ah. So they ended up eating each other. So uh, the Eddie eventually succumbed to his hunger and ate human flesh. But so William H. Eddy, and that was soon gone, they began taking apart their snowshoes to eat the ox hide webbing and discuss killing Louis and Salvatore for food before Eddy warned the two men and then quiet they quietly left. So they were like they weren't just killing their dead, they were killing people to eat. And That's not an experiment though, is it? No, no. That no. was a necessity to survive. I just the Tongan boy Tongan boyfriends, the Tongan schoolboys, I just thought was completely contrary to what Goulding thought they were doing. And it transpires that, you know, Goulding was not a happy man anyway. Mm. And that I think he was projecting his unhappiness. I think I think it's perfectly capable. I think I think in different circumstances. Like we don't know how they were raised. Like they could have been raised really well, like to show like like, I think it is a matter of how they were raised. Like, I've never read a lot of the rise, but I'm flies, but I'm pretty sure that the, the like, boy who becomes, like, this dictator, he has a lot of, like, violence in his past, doesn't he? With his, like, parents, and they're all, like, kind of bad Well, that and, eggs. And that was Goulding's kind yeah. of experience as well. Anyway. What were your other things? Uh, do you want... Well... No, come on, tell me. save it for another episode. No, tell me. me. Uh, well, it was just... All it was was about self-experimenters and whether that's ethical. Well, we could do a part two to this. Uh, yes. And yeah. apparently Australians are quite fond of self-experimenting. Yeah, I mean, so there was... Let's, the let's, let's do a part two to an ethical medical. Self-experimenting. Self-experimenting, unethical medical part two. Anyway, 
from Rasputin's penis <laughs> to Tongan schoolboys. Yeah, that's, that's this week's our. episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Matilda. I'm David. And uh, this has been Tell Me About It.